We love to think that in Canada, diversity is our strength. But we also need to confront the fact that not everybody here believes that. Immigration is a huge part of what's made Canada successful. But we also don't have to look far to find examples of people who fight that every step of the way. They are effing crazy. Are you kidding? 26, 25,000? How are they going to screen these people? Because for every Canadian politician who warmly welcomes refugees to their new homes... Canada is a country that was built by immigration. There is another Canadian politician who would like us to believe those refugees are taking resources from people who were born here. I have concerns from Saskatchewan people about safety issues. And so we're not saying Saskatchewan doesn't want to welcome refugees or Canada shouldn't. We're saying let's not be driven by a deadline. To those politicians and the people who agree with them, immigrants and refugees are best spoken about as numbers. This is a political tactic first because 25,000 sounds huge, but more importantly because when you start to discuss actual people with families and hopes and dreams who risked everything to get here, then using numbers doesn't work anymore. So today we're going to meet one of those people, and more accurately, we're going to meet his daughter, who is telling her father's remarkable story in the hopes that we can focus our policy discussions less on the numbers and more on the people among them. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Shada Omidvar is the daughter of Amir Omidvar, who is the star of a new podcast called The Hopeful, which you can find here at Frequency Podcast Network. And it's hosted by Shada. If that sounds confusing, don't worry. It's really easy once you listen. Hey, Shada. Hi, how's it going? It's going really well. How's your podcast? It's doing really well so far. I'm I'm getting such great feedback from all of my friends and family and colleagues. Um, I'm so excited that this is out in the world finally. Well, we wanted to talk to you because, um, you know, your story is is a small one, but the implications of uh, the immigrant and refugee journey uh, are big ones. So why don't you just start, um, because the podcast is about him, uh, tell us about your dad. Who is he? So my dad, his name is Amir Omidvar. He's an Iranian-Canadian immigrant. He moved to Canada in the late 80s, so he's been here for quite a while now, about 38 years. He's currently retired. Previous to that, he was a mechanic. He owned his own uh, mechanic shop, and today um, he flips houses with my mom. Uh, so that's that was their retirement plan. That's the short form of who my dad, <laughs> of who my dad is. Why? Did you want to do a podcast about him? Because you didn't, I know the story and you didn't tell me the full story right there. <laughs> I want to tell this story about my dad because first off, what he went through is heroic um, in short, and it's also inspirational. Uh, it's influenced me greatly as a person and, and in my daily life because he had such a, a crazy amount of sheer will to make his dream come true for himself and so I think that that's like such an incredible inspiring story and especially with everything that we're experiencing you know in, in modern times right now with the COVID-19 pandemic and people need hope right now I think and if they were to hear my dad's story it could truly inspire people and incite hope no matter what kind of situation people are in and they don't have to be 
a new immigrant or a refugee. It's um, it's just about um, keep keeping on and, and being hopeful and trying your best. In a couple minutes, we're going to get into uh, the specifics of your dad's story and um, his travels. But uh, before we do that, I know that um, part of the reason you're doing this podcast is because you've been hearing these stories forever. And I think lots of kids have those memories of their parents' stories. Can you just tell me, like, do you remember the earliest time you heard your dad's stories about his travels? And, and what did you think of them as a kid? And how did he tell them to you? So my dad started telling these stories when I was really young. And I think that as I got older, I heard different stories and the stories evolved and maybe I got a bit more information. Um, but camping was really big for my family. My, being able to take me and my family on a little vacation was really important to my dad, having that like intimate time with each other. So that's where I started to hear the stories, you know, uh, that you hear about like, you know, campfire, <laughs> fireside chats. And that that's what these were. Uh, we were told these stories around the campfire after dinner at the end of the day when, you know, there's nothing really else to do. <laughs> there's no internet. I didn't have a, you know, cell phones and iPads weren't really a thing back then. So we just had these stories to hear. And my dad would tell them to me and my sister and my mom. I, I would, some of these stories I would ask for on repeat. And it was just like I was hearing them anew every single time I ate them right up. It, it was so exciting. I think, you know, you can, you hear about fairy tales and, and um, heroic stories, but the fact that these, these stories happened to somebody that I know and, and my father at the very least, like, er, in fact, was so much more interesting to me and I was obsessed I was, as since a kid. So I think the, er but to answer your question about when was the earliest I heard these stories, I have a very specific memory of a time we were camping in Tofino my maternal grandmother was there and her husband and we're all sitting around the fire. And I just remember like, the, I don't really remember the story, which story he was telling us, but I just, I remember the glow of the fire on our faces. I remember us laughing. I remember us like being quiet and just focused in on my dad and hearing him tell the story. So I think that's probably the earliest. I was about maybe nine or 10 at the time um, of that Tofino camp trip. You've tiptoed around it a, a little bit so far. So just tell me, what were those stories about? These stories that my dad would tell us were about how he got to Canada. My dad left when he was 22. Uh, Iran had just experienced a, a revolutionary crisis, uh, which, you know, the Ayatollah Khomeini regime came into power and he had to escape. He crossed the borders into Turkey illegally. He did it on foot and by himself. He then found himself in Spain for 20 months. And during that 20 months, he made four attempts to get himself into the U.S. One of them was through Mexico. He flew to Mexico and tried to cross the border into the U.S. there and was imprisoned for two weeks because he was captured. He made an attempt through Milan and didn't even make it out of the airport. He was beaten by the police and sent back again. Another time through London Heathrow Airport and, again, faced deportation an additional time. And every single time, it, it's, uh, you know, he's beaten down and uh, he you'd think that he would lose all hope and you'd think that he would give up, but he doesn't. And that's really what's most remarkable about this story is that how could one person endure so much uh, heartbreak 
And uh, his fourth and final attempt was through Canada. And originally he came to Canada and thought this could be a gateway to the U.S. But when he landed here and handed over a letter declaring refugee status, the reception that he received from the customs officers were, was so overwhelmingly w welcome to him that he decided not to make any moves anywhere else. This was going to be his home. And all it took was the customs officers to just ask if he was hungry up until that point, for the entire 20 months, no one really had cared for him like, like that. And so that was it. Canada was his home um, for forever, <laughs> moving forward. Tell me about him uh, leaving Iran at that time. That was a dangerous time in that country. Yeah, I'm, it's, my dad leaving Iran was a super risky move. At the time, there were many Iranians leaving and escaping. The government had shut down borders. The war with Iraq had just started. So n no one was allowed in or out. So my dad spoke to a, a few other people who had heard of different routes and different guides that you could, you could hire to help you cross the border. Ultimately, my dad decided that it was best for him to do this alone. And that is what he did. He crossed the borders with gold sewn into the seams of his pants and his jacket and cash sewn into the lining of his jacket and all he had in his pocket was his Iranian passport. He didn't carry with him a backpack, not a morsel of food, not a drop of water. He crossed the border in the middle of the night completely alone and with no resources to help him. What was that like for you uh, as a child hearing that story? I mean, I can't, my, I've lived a very uh, comfortable life here in Canada. I can't imagine hearing that kind of story about my father. I can't imagine uh, experiencing anything like that myself, uh, to be completely honest. I, uh, it's something that is out of a movie. Um, I've dreamt about that story. I've visualized it a million different times. And it's quite beautiful to me because one of the things that I remember so clearly him telling me about that night is that it was a clear sky with a full moon. And that is what was guiding him into the direction that he needed to go was the light of the moon and it shining on um, a snow-capped mountain, which was his which was his northern star. He needed to go towards that mountain. So thinking about it while, while, it, while it's very like an unbelievable experience, it also visually is just so it's so beautiful in my mind and in my imagination. And I hope one day to be able to make it into some sort of moving picture. Um, but it's, it's a moment that'll forever influence my life and how I, you know, how I am in the world. How touch and go was it, uh, Shada, that he would actually um, make it into either the United States or Canada? That was a perilous time for refugees. It was an extremely touch and go experience. Um, his final and successful attempt uh, kind of happened by luck. I shouldn't say entirely by luck. He had an during his time in Spain, he made a lot of uh, friends, other refugees, other Iranian refugees who were in the same situation as him. So really, there was a sense of camaraderie between these other um, individuals. They were all men. So they were sharing advice. And so, you know, really, like for all of them, it was a success. It was a success if at least one of them could make it. So with a combination of luck and the support of his friends, my dad was able to make it over. But honestly, every single moment was... What could have landed him like being deported back to Iran. It's a miracle that at no point did any of these gateways send him back to Iran because they they easily could have. 
Instead, they deported him to Spain. And if they were to have sent him back to Iran, he could have been imprisoned, he could have been tortured, and he could have faced the death penalty. Um, and there are moment, many moments that you will hear throughout the, um, the first half of the season. You'll hear about all these moments where he is essentially faced with a near-death experience because it's either there's two choices in a, in a crossroads. He's either deported back to Iran and facing death or whoever he's, he's, uh, whoever's blocking his way basically just turns a blind eye and lets him go. And by some miracle at each turning point, somebody has <laughs> graced him with uh, uh, sheer luck and has turned a blind eye. And that is, I think, really what makes this story so special and unbelievable. Tell me how you convinced your dad to uh, to really open up for this podcast, because some of the uh, the exchanges between you two trying to get him to uh, to really elaborate are, are quite charming. So when I originally approached my dad about this idea to make a podcast, um, he didn't. First of all, he didn't know what a podcast was, so I had to educate him on what that was. Um, and when I first started interviewing him about five years ago with um, with my co creator Portia Larley. I mean, luckily, Portia has been my friend for so long, and my dad surprisingly likes her. He doesn't like a lot of people. So it was easy for him to open up to the two of us. But even with us, there were some things that I knew he was high, like he hadn't said, like because it was a story I had heard before or just, you know, some information that I knew about our family. And he didn't say it. And I, I would ask him later, like, you know, Dad, like, you should say that thing, like that moment. And he was like, I don't know. I don't think it's necessary. I don't know why people need to know that. And Ultimately, like what I wanted, what I told him is I was like, these personal moments, these intimate moments and these feelings and these thoughts of yours are what people are going to relate to. People need to see you. They need to see what you were feeling and they need to hear you. And if they can see that and understand that, they will be hooked because my dad has, feels so many things. <laughs> He's such an emotional person and it's so genuine and that is true storytelling to me. I think a successful story is when you've been able to really emote feeling. And my dad has a lot of them. And I told him, if you can let people see you and you, if you can let people in, they will hold on really tight and they will be so loyal to the story and they will want to hear it from start to finish. And that's all it took. He heard me in that moment and he was like, you're right, I need to be open and I need to say all of these things. And, you know, it's he's he's really on a mission to help inspire some other people. And I just coached him through that and reminded him, you know, why we're here, why we're doing this and how we will do this successfully. I want to ask you about a part of the story that will probably resonate uh, most with immigrants and refugees and and their children. So you mentioned that your father uh, arrives in Canada. He's asked if he's hungry and he decides to stay. That's the start of a whole nother story. What happens when you start over like that with nothing in a new country? Well, first of all, starting over in a new country is extremely difficult. And I think that that is something that a lot of people forget. And the, peop the critics of immigrants and refugees, especially in Canada, don't understand that. And a part of that, I think, is a part of the fear is not understanding what that person has been with. Um, so... What I think is people need to know is like coming to a new country, especially in the way that my dad um, did, involves a lot of sacrifice. And the transition into a new country is 
possibly even harder than the journey of arriving to it in itself. And if you don't have good people surrounding you, then you could be faced with a lot of negativity um, because there are people in our country who aren't accepting of newcomers and they're not patient with people who are still learning a language. They're not supportive of anybody getting you know support from the government. There's a lot of backlash to be faced. So you have to be extreme, extremely strong. You have to have an incredible sense of self and you have to trust in your vision and you have to trust in why you've come to this country and you have to be determined and resilient because the transition to making a new life starting over and you know part of it is assimilation it, it's it's not an easy road at all once your dad had arrived um and kind of begun to build his life what kind of challenges did he face in terms of becoming a success in canada i mean it 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 can't have been easy, and you kind of spoke to just now, you know, some of the some of the more systemic problems uh, he might have faced. I know that off the bat, getting a job was really hard because you know his resume didn't have any experience locally or in Canada. Uh, his his English was a work in progress when he got here. He knew some of the language, but of course, was still learning for the first few years. So I think that. Just getting that, just landing that first job was the challenge. And then, you know, continuing to evolve from there. Plus, when you are new, you're vulnerable and you're desperate, you'll take any job you can get. And sometimes that's not a very high paying job. You, you are just making rent. You're just making your grocery bill and whatever else. And it's a hard life to be able to work up um, and move up in the world. So I think that for my dad, the hardest part was landing that first job and just every step that he took to progress was, wasn't easy. I think it took a lot of, of time and patience and determination. As you've been working on this podcast um, with your dad, what kinds of stories have you heard uh, either from him or also from other uh, immigrants and refugees about, you know, how varied the experience can be and, and what this kind of story means to them. You know, it's interesting. Um, my dad, when I asked him about his experience as an immigrant and about as a, you know, a newcomer and what he faced, just, you know, integrating into society, my dad will not speak ill of the country and the people within it. Um, he, didn't, he doesn't really talk about having experienced racism, whether he has or not. Um, perhaps he's sort of turned a blind eye to it. And What's interesting is in the making of this podcast, it's it, it has created a lot more conversations between me and other first generation children, uh, not just of Iranians, but other immigrants. And we've all come to this conversation about our parents and their experiences of racism. And it seems that our parents' generation are just so grateful to be here that they don't even really want to think about it. They don't want to, they, they're or either that or they take the race, you know, those racist moments in stride and it's and they're just so grateful to be in this country that racism isn't really something that they spend too much time fretting about one thing that i will say is that my dad is super grateful for the people that he's met along his on along the way and you know i mentioned that he was a mechanic he owned his own mechanic shop and that was a huge turning point for him having integrated into society Speaking with you know all of his customers, they came from all walks of life. They were mostly white because he opened up the mechanic shop in an affluent neighborhood in North Vancouver. So a lot of his customers were lawyers, doctors, principals of schools. 
and he got to meet so many people. And I know that he has said that he really owes it to his shop to have met these wonderful people. And a lot of them were white and a lot of them, you know, saw my dad as a reputable businessman and, and not an Iranian immigrant. They saw him for the work that he did and the respect that he showed them. And with that, they were willing to welcome him into, you know, into their worlds, a world that, you know, it, it's not very common for, uh, you know, a white doctor living in North Vancouver to be inviting an Iranian immigrant mechanic to their home for Christmas dinner. But that is the experience that I had as a kid. We used, we did, my dad did make friends with these people and he's very grateful for these people having accepted him and and seeing him for who he truly is and not just as an immigrant. Have you talked to your father about kind of the different views of the country that you just described between first-generation immigrants and second-generation immigrants? Have you told them how, you know, you and other uh, second-generation kids have have talked about racism and and its impacts in a way that, that he'd prefer not to? I, a few years ago when I started these interviews with my dad, I did bring up the idea of racism and that's when, you know, he responded by saying that he does he hasn't really experienced it or if he has it's you know it he didn't take it too personally. And then when I expressed to him that I personally had felt racism, he was to be honest, he was actually quite surprised. He wasn't expecting it. And really? Yeah, he I and I was surprised that he was surprised. I was like and mm-hmm. you know and I've had some pretty traumatic experiences of racism, especially as a kid and growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood of North Vancouver, you know, elementary school into high school. All of the people that I was surrounded by were majority white. And I mean, although I, 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 you know, I have lovely friends out of high school, my co-creator of this podcast, her name is Portia Larley, and she wrote this with me. And I, I met her and we've been friends since high school. So obviously I met amazing people. But when I brought up this idea of racism to my dad, and, and not just for his experience, but my experience, he was shocked and he didn't really understand. And he he was puzzled that I had experienced this. So since then, I haven't brought it up to him again. There's I've had sort of like maybe new ideas for another like part two, <laughs> another podcast following this, because it seems that these other first generation people that I'm talking to also are very, are craving these conversations. It seems like this conversation isn't happening enough. Uh, that it was our conversation, like me and these other people, that was the first time they were talking about it, about first time I was talking about it. And the first time I was able to like, we were able to relate to somebody else about these experiences. So there's definitely a place for these conversations. There's definitely a, a want and a need for it. And I think when the time comes, I would absolutely talk to my dad um, about this as well. In the meantime, everybody um, should tune in and hear his story because he's he's a wonderful and funny man. Thank you for uh, joining us today, Shada. Oh, thank you for having me. And I I hope that everyone enjoys the story. It's my dad has truly bared his soul and um, which wasn't an easy experience for him and an easy process. But he he wants everyone to hear it. And he hopes that he can inspire um, at least just one listener, if not all of them. Shada Omidvar, host of The Hopeful, which you can listen to right now at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or, as you know by now, wherever you get your podcasts, which is exactly where you can find The Big Story and also at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. You can also talk to us anytime on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You could find us and Shada and The Hopeful and 
everything else at Frequency Pods on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. <laughs>